Welcome podcast land and welcome to another edition of Down the HR Rabbit Hole brought to you by Crescent HR and Crescent Payroll Solutions. Again, I am not Sanders Offner. He is currently enjoying the beach with his family. My name is Rochelle. I am a senior sales consultant for Crescent Payroll Solutions. And today we are embarking on part two of our conversation with Kat Perez. But first, I'm going to go ahead and introduce my co-host, our Crescent HR lead advisor, Philip Carrillo. Hey, Philip. Hello. What's going on? (laughs) It's just another day in the life. There we go. (laughs) Why don't you go ahead and lead us into our topic and um, introduce Kat briefly. Well, so today, um, as yesterday, we have Kat back with us to discuss, uh, to continue the, the conversation on implicit bias. Kat is an attorney. She is someone who, I think I said this on their very first introduction, every time I talk with her, I'm just excited because she always provokes really great thought. She gives a real perspective that is not just an opinion, because we all know everybody's got opinions, but it's a real uh, thought through. Very often, she has science to back it up. Uh, you know, an off overused word, uh, science that is. But um, she often has a wonderfully um, well-informed perspective. And so, to continue our conversation on implicit bias, um, I want to piggyback on what we were talking about last week, Kat, which is. Um, implicit bias, but in particular, three things keep coming to mind. Um, All of the various data that you mentioned, all the various anecdotes you went through and discussed, three things keep coming up. And I know this is a a question that the average person listening probably has. Why is it not about merit? I'm going to mention three words again. It's qualification, merit, and skew. Tell me about those three things. Sure. Um, I want to be very clear up front. It is always about merit and qualifications. And so no one in in the DEI space is going to ask you to hire somebody or promote somebody who's not qualified or who doesn't have the merit to back it up. The problem with that concept and where implicit bias comes into play is the fact that it's not always as objective as one thinks it is when it comes down to merit uh, and what someone perceives as merit. And in the implicit bias space, there are concepts known as the halo effect and the prove it again effect, which I'll explain briefly and, and how, it affa- how it affects the concept of merit. So with the halo effect, and this could happen in, in a variety of scenarios, you attribute better performance, better merit, and just you know betterness overall about a person who you already like or have a relationship with. And so to the extent that a person um, who you work with is already well regarded, then it is always seen that that person has merit because this halo effect leads you to believe that they are highly qualified and highly skilled and that anything that they do wrong you discount it as being out of the norm. On the other hand there's the idea in particular for women and people of color of prove it again. And this prove it again idea is the idea that in particular when women and people of color have success the people who are evaluating them often chalk that up to a one-time occurrence. And so they don't think about that as this is their merit. They think about it as luck or a circumstance that happened to them, not because of their merit. And whereas often their male colleague is promoted on the basis of their future potential, women and people in color are often held back by the idea that their success may not be long lasting or may not continue into the future. And so from that perspective, if you, if you are evaluating those two people 
for example, for a promotion, you believe that it's all about merit, but you're not always actually uh, judging things apple to a- apples to apples because of your implicit biases. Mm-hmm. You, it, it's often apples to oranges, and, and you want to believe that you are objective and you are fair. That is the concept of these cognitive biases, is that we all want to believe that we are just and we are fair. But without recognizing what's happening under the surface, you're not as fair as you believe that you are. So that's a very helpful overview of those kinds of biases or those those frameworks of biases, the halo effect and then the prove it again effect. And I can, I'm sure our audience as well as I'm sure myself, I know I have many examples of uh, both of those uh, various things, whether I'm perpetrating that or whether I'm just aware and around when it's happening. And that's a key thing, I think, taking responsibility in that way, too. But um, how do you systematize taking responsibility? How do you systematize undoing some of those things in an objective way, in a, in a way that can be replicated for managers easily? Because I think we're always going to fight these kind of natural tendencies. So let's talk a little bit about performance management and performance rankings and how implicit bias and particular halo effect and prove it again effect can bring to bear on those on that process of performance management. Sure. Well, I think that, you know, employees always want to be judged fairly for their work and employers are always struggling with the best way to implement some sort of performance review that allows them to take the temperature of how an employee is doing and determine, you know, what that trajectory for the employee may look in two years or five years or 10 years. And so having a really good performance review is important both for the business and for the individual to get that feedback and be able to improve their performance where necessary. And, you know, the problem that has been seen with a lot of performance reviews in the implicit bias realm is often the words that are used to describe certain people, in particular women and people of color. Um, Women often get negatively reviewed for traits that in men are seen as positive, like being aggressive or um, you know, displaying certain behaviors or dressing certain ways that um, don't fit with the norm of what a uh, perhaps the person who's evaluating them thinks a, a woman should do or how they should act or how they should talk. Is it important how people dress? I just want to throw that out there because I know that's a common question. Is it important? I think it depends on your industry. I mean, there are certainly industries where how you look reflects on how your customers will feel about your business. And okay. so I think there is a place for making sure that people um, – you know, conform to, I don't want to say a dress code, but a certain level of professional dress. And um, that should still find a way to express the individual's personality, you know, perhaps it's color or certainly, you know, we've moved beyond women having to wear skirts and not wearing (laughs) pants, that sort of thing. But, but there is a level of professionalism involved in how you dress. And if you only have an inward facing job that never touches a customer, I don't particularly see the relevance of a dress code. But you know, in how you reflect yourself to the community, there are some legitimate reasons for that. But going back to the performance reviews, I would say that, um, you know, people want them to be objective. And often there are numeric scales, you know, one to five about how much the person achieves in certain areas of their business in terms of how they interact with coworkers, how timely is their delivery, how high is the quality of their work, all of those things. And, and some of them can really break down to a lot of levels of specificity a but, and then there's you know usually some commentary too. But one piece of advice that has been given to organizations that would like to improve their performance review process, and in particular, reduce the impact of implicit bias, is to really challenge to people to come up with examples. And so, if you have the halo effect, 
particularly, for example, of a man who you know and like and, and you manage. And, you know, you just have this inclination to give him a five on everything because you think he's great. And you may have another employee that you don't connect as much with and you've had a few problems with their work. And so you have a generally not as positive view as you do of the other person. You know, as an organization, you really need to challenge managers to give examples of the behaviors that you find should be rewarded and the behaviors that you have a problem with. And so um, as it comes to rating people and ranking people, that's great. You know, it'll give an average number for a particular performance. Um, but we know that, that those numbers don't always tell the full story. So mm -hmm. challenge people to say, okay, they timely deliver. Give three examples. They are quality writers. Give me, point to three projects. You know, something for both people, you know, to, to really challenge to say how good is their work if you're saying it's terrific? How bad is their work if you don't if you think they're an underperformer? So give those examples, and that not only helps the organization to uncover the validity of those results, but also challenges that manager to kind of say, wait, maybe maybe this person who I'm ranking lower only had one time when they really didn't meet my expectations, but it made me so angry it's carried over into how I feel about them or something like that. So that's a good thing to do regardless of the <laughs> categories of people that you know that you're talking about. You know, really for forcing managers who are evaluating people to articulate why they believe someone has leadership potential or doesn't have leadership potential or shows initiative or doesn't show initiative. Yeah. Because some those types of things are often hidden indicators for implicit bias, but also, you know, let's let's really ask people to show what it is that they're trying to prove. Yeah, the impact to business of performance management is so important that you really do have to get it right. I mean, the tendency to perceive performance management as oh, Shucks, just another round of performance reviews. Thank God this is going to, or thank God this is over, you know, when you finally right. get through the, how the last. How quickly can I do it? Just like how quickly meeting. can I review the resumes, you know? Like, yeah. it's just an administrative task as a manager. I'd like to get back to doing the business of what we do. And this is all this performance management stuff. Well, you know, that is one of the most important things about being a manager is how you manage people and how you um, develop their growth wholeheartedly, my goodness. I think of two things, um, and they're two statistical concepts. One is validity and one is reliability. Um, when you're talking about what it is that you're measuring, you have to think about, is it a valid measurement? I mean, if you're, what you're kind of alluding to earlier when it came to how one might rank, uh, say, a female reviewee versus a male reviewee, um, and you're measuring things that are not even important. They're not relevant. They make. They have no business in your um, in the story that you're trying to tell about the productivity of your workforce and the pursuance of your vision. Why on earth are you measuring it? So that's a valid a validity question. And you've got the reliability question. Is are the results of a performance appraisal replicable? So it's only reliable. You can only rely on your performance reviews if another manager objectively could come to the same conclusions that you came to as a manager. And so if you just think of those two things when you're, when you're going about writing your performance appraisals of your, uh, or your assessments of your direct report or your uh, assessment of your boss or your colleague, if it's a 360 review, is what I'm reviewing even valid, firstly? I mean, is there any relevance to our goal long term? And secondly, is there any, is what I'm relaying here replicable or does it, would it be consistently 
repeated if somebody else gave the same review. So I think those two things are so often overlooked, and I think it's just a result of we would much rather sit back and just rely on our own impressions and our own, uh, perhaps I'll even use the word bias, <laughs> we would much rather sit back on that because it's more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, it, we like people who are like us, and so therefore as we go to review people, going through a tedious, long, time-consuming review, if you could just be like, yeah, Bob's performing great. Jane needs some work. Um, you know, Jim's got um, a lot of projects and he's late. You know, if you could just um, go off the top of your head, it certainly would be easier and faster. But it's similar to what we talked about in, in the first uh, section of, of this uh, podcast, which is, um, you know, you can't always rely on your immediate impressions. They're faulty. They're quick. Um, and they sometimes are laden with implicit bias when you don't even know it. So I wanted to bring up one resource for people who are listening, and it's something that has gained a lot of traction in the area of implicit bias in terms of validating that it even exists. There are a lot of people who would challenge me that this concept of implicit bias isn't real, and they are fair, <laughs> and all their decisions are right, and, and you know, because everybody wants to believe that they are good and valid people, and that they make their decisions that are you know really good conscious decisions. Yes. So if you want to uncover a little bit more about what this is all about, I would suggest going to the um, Harvard Project Implicit um, from the Kerwin Institute. It's online. You can just Google implicit bias or IAT test. It's a, called the Implicit Association Test. And it's a module, it's an online module that is very easy and each one is very quick and, and it's sort of a self-reporting kind of thing. You choose what you want to test yourself on. But it tests associations between different types of concepts. And um, for example, for me, I did one with um, women and men and the associations with home versus work. And my mom was a lawyer and she worked very hard my entire life growing up. And so I've had that role model of a woman in the workforce for my entire life. And so I thought I have no implicit association with, you know, women in the, in the home and, and men at work, probably, I think, and especially given my <laughs> own profession and how hard I work. Yes. Uh, I would hope to think that I do not have that bias. And so when the test starts, it requires you to, um, you know, use your left and right hand on, on two buttons on your keyboard and to quickly evaluate things that come up. And when the associations are more common to you, like a woman in the laundry, you often, for me, you know, you got to that association more quickly because it is what you see every day in the media. It's what you see, um, you know, portrayed in the stereotypes forever. And so those associations come very quickly. But through the test, they'll flip the associations and they will force, um, you know, the associations of men in laundry, women in work, the workplace, but in, in a lot of nuanced ways. And so, you know, you, how quickly you associate them correctly or wrongly um, leads the computer module at the end to say, you know, you have a slight association with women in the home and men at work. You have a strong association with women at home and men at work. And that's only one example. I mean, there are examples about COVID-19 and, you know, COVID-19, you know, emanating from, from China and biases against um, individuals as a result of that. There are certainly a lot of race-related implicit association tests. There are some religion-related IATs that I didn't even know I had an opinion about one way or the other. Um, so you can test your association for various categories and see where you rank. And there are st also studies that show if you, um, you know, practice some mindfulness and take the test again, 
you might actually have an improved score. I'll have to take the test again because yeah, so I took the test and I did poorly. Well, it depends <laughs> on which one you do, tests, but actually, if it's, it's you know, <laughs> women in the world, so women in science, there's one on women in science. And so if you take that test and, and you're poor on the association of women in science versus men in science, and um, you know you can do these exercises where you think about a woman who is prominent in science and you're sort of envisioning that person and you know you're sort of doing all these mindfulness things to make that association then when you take the test again you might have a, a slightly different strength of that association now that's not to say I could take any test today and two weeks later it'd be different on any given day how quickly you press the buttons how strong the association is is different it's not um, I mean it is science but it is not exact of course. but it does tend to tell you what your fastest association is with certain stereotypes. Yeah. Well, so I actually, so I, let me speak a little anecdotally about my own experience with those tests. So I took three or four of them uh, across a spectrum of various kinds of um, uh, potential potentialities for bias. Um, I think I took a couple of race tests. I took, um, definitely I took a gender test. Um, and. I truly would have thought <laughs> that I would have done better, and I didn't do poorly. I mean, I didn't, I didn't come off as some, you know, um, deep in the deep end of of problems in terms of I don't look at everyone with a with a gazillion different kinds of biases from the test results. Um, that's what I can gather. However, there was still implicit bias. There was still plenty of implicit bias. Um, and so do I think that that was a productive thing for me to take those tests? Yes, my gosh, I'll retake those tests now and see if there's been any improvement. Because it, what it really does is it just gives me a sensibility about it. It makes me think about it as I go about making decisions in the, uh, in the day or in the workplace, for example, or as I'm going through resumes for my clients. I definitely don't want to be the barrier for my clients from their next greatest hire. Yeah. Um, that is a really important thing. And I always go back to recruiting. Maybe it's because uh, that's my, my birthplace, but, um, there's so much st strategy about recruitment and there's so much at stake. <laughs> and so you really have to think about what it is that is informing my search. That's yeah. a great point. So okay, I have a question about this. So my thing is, is that I feel as if we look at the media, we look at social media we look at the news and there is so much that's really thrown at you um as far as the, the hot topics like the race the gender um all these hot topics that we're talking about when we're talking about implicit bias and i almost feel like that in itself if you're taking these tests and from day to day that's going to change the way that you think about things is that for the better or for the worse i don't know i don't know well, I mean, I, I mean, I think you're right. Everything that you're seeing in the media, the discussions you're having with coworkers, um, you know, everything that's going on in the world is changing how we all think. For good or for bad, who knows? But the way you feel about um, different groups of people changes based on those experiences. So I have a an anecdote about, do you all know who Doc McStuffins is? No. <laughs> oh my goodness, she's a, a cartoon character on Disney. Okay. And she is a little girl, she's black, and she is a doctor for um, stuffed animals and toys. Oh my goodness, I love And that. so each episode is about some version of a medical emergency for the stuffed <laughs> animals and toys. And my children watch it on repeat constantly. They watch it over and over and over again. And when I tell you that my children think that doctors are women, and my children think that doctors are people of color, 
because the doctor they've seen the most is Doc McStuffins. And she has been this great role model is a weird thing for a cartoon, but she has informed what my children think about their interactions with healthcare. And I went with my daughter to a doctor recently and, and she was like, what is that otoscope on the wall? You know, she knew even the technical terms. Um, you know, why is that otoscope on the wall? Technical (laughs) terms about, um, you know, things that you encounter in the hospital. And so those are all the kinds of things that we all grew up with where we saw representations in the media and commercials and all of that and and they were fairly standard of a certain stereotype wow, you know women were in the kitchen and they were you know showing the dawn soap and they were scrubbing the dishes and and that just reinforces what you you know what you sort of have learned to think about who does the dishes and men were por- portrayed a certain way after i gave implicit bias training to my firm which was largely about women when it came to gender i had a um, gay man come to me and say thank you for doing that training but I really wish that you also focused on men as it came to implicit bias because he faced a lot of challenges as a young man about not meeting the male gender stereotypical roles in terms of what it what's like to be a man don't cry like all this other stuff that that really affected him long term and and that was my blind spot right because as a woman I see the the gender implicit bias in, in so many of my experiences, yeah. right? And it didn't even occur to me to include the you know kind of flip side of that in my training. And I was so happy that he brought that to my attention and certainly started to include it in my trainings. But that's where these conversations help, right? Like you do the training, you raise the awareness of your employees, your employees feel like you're listening to them. I got such positive feedback whenever I do implicit bias training because it's, it's something new and different for a lot of employees, and it, and it shows that you care about them as individuals and that you're listening. And often we conclude the training by saying, what are some policies that we could improve on here? How can we take what we're talking about today, not just in this abstract way, but how can we bring it back to a policy or practice in this organization that would improve things? I'll give one example. In, in some organizations, you know, all the management meetings are at 4 o'clock. Well, perhaps for women who have young children who have to leave to get their kids, mm-hmm. four o'clock is always going to be the worst time, and they have to choose between picking up their children from school or attending really important management meetings. So that's just one mindful thing to consider. It's really every decision in a business. It's really exhausting to be so mindful. But being mindful of those things and seeking input and having different people in control of making those decisions, um, you know, you'll, you'll get... Um, you know, meetings at a different time, perhaps if a woman with children were deciding when those meetings were. So having the decision makers, one, be aware of these types of issues, but also having different types of decision makers um, will really sort of have its ripple effect within the organization in terms of what those policies look like, what the practices look like, you know, when the happy hours are, where they're held, what the dress code looks like. There's so much input there that can come from your employees that will make them feel uh, validated and included and I'll just say one more thing, which is that this diversity, equity, inclusion piece, often people have been looking at diversity for many, many years, decades. But it's really in these last five years or so that I've seen people really looking about what does inclusion look like? Mm -hmm. It's not just who can I bring into my organization and put at the table, but whose voice am I listening to? How do they have an effect on the organization? How How do they feel included enough so that they will raise their voice so that they can have an impact? And so um, yeah, I think that's what a lot of this implicit bias stuff leads to is not just how do we get people in the door, but how can our mindful decisions affect who feels included in the organization? Yeah, my goodness. I encourage people every single day uh, to, to be a little bolder than you might be inclined to be. Because I think overall, I genuinely, so I always try to uh, put these podcasts into a, a uh, 
a positive closure. And, um, and all of this has been so edifying in so many ways. And uh, I think that anyone who's listening and critically thinking about uh, these topics in the context of their own lives, in the context of their own decision-making process, can get so much out of this. But I think that there is a, a higher calling really for everybody to be emboldened by just the energy that's out there today to think twice before shutting up to think twice maybe before saying, you know what, I need to be involved in the decision about when management meetings are made because I'm a manager too. And so my schedule is as important as anybody else's schedule. And so there always has to be some champion out there. There are always going to be challenges to and impediments to um, one's advancement, one's um, group's advancement. Uh, and you, I, I've just... Personally, I believe, as a, as a gay man, I believe that there is so much opportunity out there if you can just say, you know what, this is not a limitation for me, or I will not allow it to be any more of a limitation than, than is, you know, built in, whatever that may look like, but I am going to say I own what I do with myself. Personally, I think <laughs> some of the best outcomes from, from collective minds and collective conversations and if you're not able to have those collective conversations with people because somebody doesn't think that their voice or their opinion matters, you're missing out. You're missing out on something that be, could be great for your business, could be great personally, maybe open your eyes to something. And yeah. you have to be able to just say, okay, I'm comfortable, or even if I'm not gonna be comfortable, I'm gonna step outside of my comfort zone to have these conversations yeah, and to give have people them the chance, right? Absolutely. Give people around you the chance maybe to step up and, yeah, and have them into like, w yeah, what is I your thought that. on this? Like no that. judgment. Let's talk about this. Let's hash it out. I think that's such a great point. And I think that where we are in the world makes it really hard for people to figure out when and how to have those conversations in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just difficult. Do I bring up political topics? Do I bring up, you know, social justice topics? Will that be embraced? Will I be, um, you know, punished for having opinions about that in the workplace. Mm. And I'll just give a little nod to the, I don't know if you all have considered a generational podcast talking about the differences in we the various generations. You yes. do have one we coming have a up. cross generational uh, training and learning uh, podcast. You know, I didn't even know that. And I'll put in a plug in for that. <laughs> um, you know, the millennials and in particular, the Gen Z folks, they're not going to put up with organizations that don't embrace DEI concepts that aren't aware of ideas about implicit bias, that aren't actively seeking fairness. They're just not going to put up with it. Yeah. And right now, when the labor market is tight and people are struggling to find the best employees, you know, there's there's the pay, right? There's always what you can afford to pay people, but then there are so many other things that people look at when it comes to whether or not they're willing to work for you. Yeah. And that's everything from your parental leave policies that include, you know, women and men and gay couples and you know different types of families and adoption and um, you know all the different kinds of policies and workplaces that show um, who you are because people want to bring their whole selves to the workplace now and so in that way they're making choices about your business that you may not even realize what is important to them beyond just what you're paying them and so you know, if businesses have no other reason to think about DEI or implicit bias, it's to know that their future workforce cares deeply about these issues and knows a lot about it and, um, you know, will make their voices heard. Even yeah. if some of us weren't quite ready to make our voices heard when we were first uh, joining the workforce. Absolutely. I think um, just to finalize just that whole thing is 
uh, on a very, 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 very positive note. As a, as a, I'll, uh, on the late end of the millennials, um, I can say <laughs> I can say that my experience in those instances where I had to assert myself, I, I remember walking in very defensively, and I remember being very armed and dangerous, <laughs> always ready. Um, you know, bazookas blazing, and um, I never was disappointed by people's reactions. I really and and truly, and maybe I'm maybe I'm unusually gifted and or, or maybe blessed i'm not saying gifted but just blessed by that experience because um, i know it's not always that rosy but giving people the opportunity to be as big as they really are down deep and as big as they really want to be i think the average person really wants to be bigger than they are so i think this is a wonderful wonderful conversation i think it begins with the oracular know thyself it, it really is a a brilliant primer to how you think about what is a natural thing, which is having a bias. It's evolutionary, right? It is. And <laughs> it's what keeps us going every single day. But, yeah. you know, being aware of it, learning a little bit more about these concepts will really help people in their personal and professional lives. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Kat. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. And we're going to wrap that up. Stay tuned for our next episode. As Kat mentioned, it will be coming up on cross-generational topics <laughs> cross generational <laughs> learning learning there you go <laughs> thanks philip have a good one <laughs>